Thank you for listening to Room 9, my daddy's podcast. Hope you enjoy. If you would like to help Room 9, please visit their support page. You can listen to Room 9 on your favorite podcast listening platform. Don't forget to visit our Instagram and Facebook page. Please like it. Room 9, if you better yourself, you better the world. Okay, just going to introduce this episode real quick. I sit down with Matthew and we just kind of ended up talking about the 12 steps. We listened to a podcast that kind of related to the 12 steps a little bit and I wanted to discuss a little more about it and we ended up doing it and I thought it'd just be a cool one to share with you guys. It's not the longest one, probably about 40 minutes and a good length. Anyway, hope you guys enjoy it. As always, things are happening, business plans done waiting to go in front of this board of directors at Access VR to hopefully get some funding. Head on over to room9podcast.com. Check us out there. There's a new project going on called Know Our Leaders Project. So if you are in charge or somebody at a company and you want your employees to get the recognition that they deserve, your hardworking employees that are dedicated to you, or even if you want your audience or your customers to get to know the faces behind all the hard work that is happening, go to room9podcast.com and go to the Know Our Leaders project page and you can find out more about that. Other than that, as always, much love, peace out, I'll talk to you next week. all like equi like you were down the hallway or something right okay all right starting over all right yeah we're gonna find out if how this goes yeah hopefully we don't have any technical errors i've just kind of realized recently that i have to step my hosting game up Mm. i don't like i seen i was really tired when i did the episode with janet and as i was editing i'm like sean you're just like i just started talking about my life and my <laughs> shit. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I? I mean, I was really tired when we did it. So right. whatever. But I was out at the sun, out in the sun with the kids all day at the beach. And we were you up did late, it after up that. early. Yeah, I did it that night. And Ooh. I didn't even want to. Well, obviously, I wanted to go with my kids to the beach. But I just knew I had to do the podcast. And I was like, oh, I yeah, it would have been better to do that before if there was any way to do that but yeah it would have been definitely better to do that before but there was nothing that was already planned and everything was happening so i was really tired but it's like and i want to i want to start preparing more yeah you know i mean after a while topics are going to become a little more difficult to nail down because you you take all the low-hanging fruit in your first episodes the stuff that's Mm -hmm. like Obviously, we got to talk about this, like your story and basic, like this is how I did recovery, this is how I'm doing recovery. But then there's going to come a time when, like you say, you're going to have to step your game up and that's going to take some preparation. But it's good that you're in a place where you're recognizing that. Yeah. No, I am. Yeah, I'm definitely like, all right, I'm going to time to prepare more, get get some notes aside and do some research. I mean, still keep that completely free falling vibe going because that's my thing and that's what i really like is to have that having coffee with you kind of thing but i need to be i need to have questions for instead of 
going to these go-tos that I do when things are stalled that I have different go-tos, fresh go-tos every episode. Yeah, that'll definitely add a robust feel for sure. Yeah. That's good though. Like, you know, have kind of an idea of what I want to talk with somebody about and then have like a list of, all right, shit, we're stalling, we're stalling, you know, they're kind of don't know what to say, I'm going to go to this. Right. Instead of my usuals, because they're I feel like they're be- becoming repetitive, maybe. Maybe it's just me, because I edit them and listen to them like in great detail. Well, I think but... people's answers are going to be unique based on the fact that everybody's different. You mm-hmm. know, everyone's got a slightly different story, and everyone's got a slightly different perspective. So the episode you did with Janet, obviously her answers are probably going to be a little bit more educated than an episode that you're doing with someone who's just actually in recovery. Yeah. You know, so. That's right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I wouldn't overthink it, but definitely can't hurt to do what you're definitely, doing. Definitely, yeah, have some preparation going. I have really learned a ton about editing recently as well. That's good. Which which has been cool. It's been fun, sir. Yeah. But yeah, I wanted to. I did. I wanted to do the old talk about the twelve steps, but kind of in like a fresh way with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if I, that was another thing too, I realized like I kind of probably bash AA and NA more than I talk them up and I don't want it to seem as much like they don't do any good yeah I there's think a lot of good that comes from it oh of course but I think it's not something that's produced a lot of good in either of us which is where yes. our personal perspective may get in the way of this is actually something that does benefit millions of people and probably can benefit maybe even the majority of our listeners yeah that's that's a possibility I mean, I do feel, in a sense, that with the opiate crisis, it's not working as well. Oh, absolutely not. But, um, no, there's a lot of awesome, and there's a lot of awesome people in AA. Yes. Agreed. And I think a lot, both of us have that Christian background as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's very similar to. There's a lot of awesome is. people at church, but mm-hmm. I still don't go to church. No. You know. No, I can't. I think it's hysterical. I mean, everybody can have their faith and believe what they believe in. But I think it's hysterical who somebody who 100% believes like Jesus literally died and this guy slash God came back to life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's crazy. It is what it is. There's some awesome people, though. That exactly. And that's, and that's the same thing with AA and NA. There's great yes. people in it. But as soon as you put bureaucracy to something, you're going to have innate corruption like immediately people are gonna all of a sudden now you have a set of rules and you have a set of standards so now there's a hierarchy that's created and some people are going to be better at it than others and now what you have is just kind of this ranking system Mm -hmm. and that's what you see in that's what you see in society but now what you have is like a microcosm of it where it's just addicts versus addicts or alcoholics versus alcoholics or whatever so now you're kind of a big fish in a little pond. Mm. And that's where I think people get to a point where they're like, hey, I'm the best person in this room right now, or I have the most experience in this room right now, so my word carries more weight. What I say carries more weight. You, you owe me a certain amount of respect. And that's where I think the message can get lost. My Still, my biggest issue with it is just, this is what worked for me and it has to work for you. Is just not my approach to recovery at all. No, and you see that a lot in... Right. There's a lot of that. This is the only way. Exactly. This is the only path. If you're not doing it, then you're lost somewhere. Right. You have to, like, pray on your knees facing 90 degrees north. You know, like, it's just these silly little rules that's like, yeah, that works for you, but it works for you for a specific reason, and that specific reason doesn't fit me. 
Yes. I love it. And it's really, it reminds me of like if somebody was a devout Muslim, mm-hmm. you know, practicing Islam and started this child orphanage and is feeding 90% of the kids who go hungry every day, there would be a Christian somewhere that would be like, oh, what you're doing is great, but you're still going to hell because you don't believe in the true faith. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) I mean, they would 100% lay their heads down at night and believe that person is going to hell because they did not ask Jesus Christ to be their personal Lord and Savior. Yeah. And I just thought that was ridiculous growing up. And it's the same thing with... AA and NA. Yes. You and I are on, yeah. are on a journey of recovery, producing lives that are now good and solid, like built on a solid foundation, completely outside of AA. So we're doing the same thing, but we'd still get condemned at AA for not having like true recovery. Not going through the steps, not being having a sponsor. And... Right. I mean, I remember I told you Andy made that comment <laughs> the one day. Kind of like we were in a circle after the one meeting and he said something about um, being lost or whatever. Mm. And, you know, I felt like he, as good as I'm doing, he deep down believed that. Um, I'm praying for you to come to, you know, the 12 steps. Right. <laughs> come right. to AA. Cause yeah. That, that's where you'll find true salvation and redemption. Yeah. But, I mean, that being said, I, I think anybody in life could absolutely benefit from going through the 12 steps. Absolutely. I mean, I think they're a great concept for change and awakening. And I guess the where I wanted to start was, I mean, it all starts with a spiritual awakening, as they say. Mm-hmm. And just kind of defining that okay. in itself. What is a spiritual awakening? Because that can mean a hundred million different things. Absolutely. And I, I feel like it's just something as simplistic as... It's kind of like just a radical change in oneself, pretty much. A radical paradigm shift or a change in perspective. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, well, I'm really going, I'm really living a crappy life and I'm lying and cheating and stealing and not doing really good to anybody and I'm selfish and self-centered and narcissistic. I should stop that. Right. I think calling it a spiritual awakening is just our way of putting a label on it because we need labels in our society so that we mm-hmm. can convey different ideas. But whether you want to call it a spiritual awakening or you want to call it a shift in your perspective, I think ultimately you're getting to the same point of where now you're ready. And I think that's the biggest part of it. Being personally ready and then opening yourself up to being personally available to this change of just all of your actions in life changing. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so what I... <laughs> Sorry, that one was for Patrick. Right. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so basically, yeah, anything that you're kind of open to as far as in yourself that you know isn't good and you want to change and you now have come to this point because there's a vast majority of the population walks around and has no concern, no awareness of what I'm doing is wrong, is not right. Right. You know, I'm cheating people, I'm stealing from people, I'm being rude to people. This, is, They have no idea. They, right. they are living in complete and utter ignorance. And they have, I'm sure they have these feelings or thoughts within themselves of like, why am I unhappy in my life? What is it that I'm going through or what's making me feel unhappy in life? But they're not at a point where they're ready to self-examine or look at what they're mm-hmm. doing. 
and looking at, okay, my actions are what is causing me to feel this negative way about myself. I mean, and that's where step one is where it all begins. Right. Which is the simple one. So I, I want to kind of just read the actual steps from the AA book. Okay. And then kind of do a paraphrased, short, different version without mentioning the word God once. All right. And all of that. That was always my biggest thing. Like, I don't know, why do we have to have the word God in there? You don't need it. We don't. I mean, I, I get the concept in 12 Steps and AA and stuff where they want you to find something that is better than yourself. And what they mean by yourself is your ego mm -hmm. that you are aware of, that part of your ego that you are aware of that is going between the emotional and thinking brain and just going berserk. For me, when I tried to work with a sponsor, that's the only terms we could, I could come to with him as far as, far as finding a higher power than myself. Okay. Was, I, I will go with this. I mean, because it is myself. There's something in me that is guiding me towards good. Yeah. It's not my ego that I identify as me when i say sean cuddy me i'm usually saying you know my parents gave me this name and there's this ego here that is conscious of a lot of things but there's something else i believe is in each and every individual that isn't filled with labels and conceptualized forms of societal bullshit so mm -hmm. That's why I've always, like, I don't like the word God. It's too heavy. Why are we using it so much? Because you don't need the word God. And I love that, too. People have this idea of what atheists, atheists are, like, nihilistic, which right. it's such, that's such a retarded thing. It I think that's, me nuts. yeah, and that's just an ignorant view of atheism. It's just a, an unresearched view of it, really, is what it comes down to. But when you say greater than yourself and you view it in the form of greater than my own ego... What you're doing is you're removing the the con the constrictions of what you've placed on the world with your ego. So now you're you're providing yourself with greater opportunity. You're providing yourself with a direction that you would have never had prior if you just stuck with all these yeses and nos that you that you act upon in your everyday life. Mm -hmm. So to call that God, I think is just it's a little too heavy, like you said. That's a little too much. The word God is so weighted down and watered down, and mm -hmm. yeah, I just I would rather I'd rather just not use the word. You know, a lot of people, if you talk to them in AA, they're always gonna say, "Well, that means whatever you want, your higher power, and all that." But and yet, that is too they, simple, I think it is. And I don't think it gets people to think enough. But I also they say that we're not affiliated. But at the end of every AA meeting in Western New York that I've ever been to, they say a Bible verse at the end of it. Right, right. <laughs> you know, they all get in a giant circle, hold hands, and they say a Bible verse. Right, yeah. Like, I don't understand that. Then you, you want people not to think of the word God as in a Christian God, but yet right. you're quoting Bible verses as a group. You know what's funny? It. You bring that up, and there was a meeting that I was at one time a long time ago, and this guy brought that point up. And he had three, like, hardcore AAers jump down his throat. And that's all the table talked about the entire hour, was that this guy even had, like, the courage or would even dare to bring up the fact that they're affiliated based on the fact that they say the Lord's Prayer and all that. <laughs> and I just, I thought it was hysterical to see these people, like, protect and guard their faith 
which is ultimately what it is, mm-hmm. because this person just decided he was going to call them out on it. That's so, yeah, that's so annoying. It just kind of further proved the the point, it, you know? Yeah, it, it does. If it you weren't, does. you wouldn't really have the need to really do that and go and overly prove your point. And that's, you a, that's the case in anything, right? You get yeah. accused of something most 90% of the time, I would say. If somebody gets defensive when you accuse them of something, they're probably guilty of it. Exactly. If if you have nothing that you're really trying to hide or you really didn't, you're really not guilty of whatever you're being accused of, you just shake it off. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you can think that if you want. For the most part, I feel like that's always true. So step one. Back to it. In the AA book, step one is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, drugs, whatever. Obviously, the AA book, it's alcohol. So we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives had become unmanageable, Mm -hmm. which that one I love. I love in general because when I first said, you know, I'm Sean and I'm an addict and admitted to something, it felt good. It was like a weight off my shoulders. I mean, I always kind of translated step one as, and I'll kind of use the podcast that we listen to a little bit as references. Basically, you're in trouble and it's serious. And I'm going to find it and name something. Yeah. And if you think about it, like I can remember the moment that 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 I took that step in this round of my recovery, but it was before ever even knowing that that step existed, that I took that mm-hmm. step. And you you kind of have to take it in order to get help. And that's yeah, and that's in anything in life, any problem in life, you can't fix something until you know it's there. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what we originally stated about how people walk around in ignorance and have no idea what they're doing is wrong. Right. I feel like that's a defense mechanism because why they say that's kind of the hardest step is because in order to admit something, that means you have to say there's an issue. I'm yeah. doing something that is not right. So I have to state it and say it. If you apply that to anything in life, that's where everything that involves change begins. Absolutely. There's an issue. There it is. That's what it is. Yeah. I'm going to name it. I'm going to look at it, call it out. Okay, now I'm aware of it. Yeah, and I like that in doing that, you limit the possibilities of how terrible it's going to become. So by defining it, which is painful at times and uncomfortable, I think, all the time, at the same time as it is that, it is all of a sudden making this problem actually manageable because now you've got solutions that you can identify and you can take it from the theological or the, you know, hypothetical and you can bring it into the actual real and say, okay, this is actually an action that I'm going to take to fix it. Yep, this is it. This is the problem. I got to change it now. <laughs> right. And I think just by admitting it, you are, what is step two? Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. So that's step two. Step two down here, what do I have? Things could be better and you can't make it better. So mm-hmm. there has to be something else that comes along with it. Mm-hmm. So we're going from step one, step two. I'm just going to do step three real quick because I feel like these first three are related. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. And I have down willing to change, believe in the possibility of change. So I feel like the first three are basically, I have a problem. I don't know how to fix it. And I have to be willing to change it, believe in the possibility of change, and accept help to change it. Absolutely. So, you know, you're basically, you're going to at least start talking to somebody. All right. Yeah. Hey, I got this issue. Do you have 
any advice, any idea what to do. That's where you can transition from step one through step three Mm -hmm. is by reaching out to some of the resources that we have available in our area. Because I remember for me, when I first admitted I had a problem, okay, that's fine. Yeah, there's a problem. I admit that. But now what do I do about it? I'm literally helpless to change it myself. So when I started reaching out to these resources, it was like, okay, this is how I can solve it. And there was comfort in that fact that there was help available and that I'm not the only person struggling with this. Um, and that's where you have to, you can't stay on step one. Community. Right. Yeah. You, you just sit on step one and you're going to remain hopeless. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you've got a problem. Great. If you don't try to transition in through the next two steps, you're not going to go anywhere. And I think the reason why we don't admit something is wrong, I I believe, and I I just feel anyway, that subconsciously we don't think we can change it or we don't want to change it. Right. So as soon as you admit something, you are saying it's possible to change this. Yeah. This is a possibility. Step one, you're in trouble. It's serious. Step two, things could be better and you can't make it better. Step three, willing to change, believe in the possibility of change. Right. Which is pretty, I mean, straightforward. Again, any issue you have in life. And that's why I just say these, I think these are awesome things for anybody to take in anything they want to change. Yeah. Whether it's, I want to stop eating as much. I want to stop being so selfish or jealous or resentful. Right. All those things that ruin relationships and limit your life. Really, you mm-hmm. know, you can become so self-defeating in life and not even realize it. Like there were things, actions that I was participating in in my life, even before abusing drugs and alcohol, that I can look back on now and put my finger on and say, you know, I was really kind of limiting myself to a very narrow uh, view of the world. And that was something that needed to change. Now, I used, you know, drugs and alcohol and recovery to kind of transition through that. But if I never had gotten into those things, would I still be, you know, participating in those areas of my life? Maybe so. And Mm -hmm. that's where I think it's kind of difficult for someone who doesn't have such a huge problem that you can put your finger on and then start getting help for that, which identifies, you know, it's kind of like a tree that branches out and identifies all these other things. Mm. There are people that just kind of have to live with it if they don't have like a reason to go and see a psychiatrist or search within themselves. I think because our society is set up the way that it is, those little, seemingly little problems that all add up to a big, terrible life, I guess you could look at it as, it just puts people in this little box and they're just kind of forced to consumerism and just living like that. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah, escapism right. is, I mean, you see it all over the place. I don't want to fix this problem. I don't want to deal with it, so I'm not even going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It's gone. It's down there. Right. It's little. It's no big deal. It's not like I'm addicted to drugs or alcohol, you know. (laughs) Those people, yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Those people are great. (laughs) And then I think step, I kind of feel like step four and five are together. I love the, how they use, they kind of, in the podcast, which by the way is what Jordan Peterson podcast, episode 51 with Russell Brand, who, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not a fan of him because I like a lot of what he has to say. I yeah. just can't stand hearing him talk. His sometimes. book is good. He talks way too fast. But yeah. in this, this episode, it's really good. I think it's cool. But they kind of related step four and five as in like they're both kind of like a process and psychoanalysis. 
mm-hmm. which I love. So step four is made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five is admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. I got down here. Step four, they related to, which I love, Jordan Peterson's book, 12 Rules of Life. Not really related to the 12 steps, but the name of the chapter was chapter six, and it was set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. Mm-hmm. So here you got to go in step four. You're going inward. Now this is becoming an introspective thing. I guess it is from step one, but you're really digging in. Where have I gone wrong? What are the list of things that I am not good at? And you know how do I fix them? And then you got to talk to somebody about it, which is whenever what you do with a therapist, what you do, what we do when we right. have coffee together. Mm-hmm. You know, hey man, I'm struggling with this. You know, what do you think about it? How do you, how do I take care of it? What do you do? And I feel like again going back to if you didn't think you could fix it, you wouldn't be talking about it. So just admitting, hey, I got these issues is already saying you believe in yourself that you could actually change these things. Right. You enforce that further when you go and you start talking to somebody about it. Yeah. Because myself, I remember a lot of times I was, I've always known the things I've been, not always, but I've pretty much, I became very introspective in my mid-20s. So I've known a huge list of things that I sucked at a lot but I never really kind of talked to people so much about them. I had a couple of close friends, but when I really would screw up, obviously I was, even when I was just using pain medication pills to escape, nobody knew. I mean, my two closest friends were mostly hurt after kind of my heroin addiction came out was mainly because I couldn't come to them and talk to them about it. I experienced that exact same thing with one of my really close friends. That was where the pain came in was that I just bailed and couldn't come to him and um, I mean we've obviously since repaired the relationship when you start to isolate is where you really start to get a lot of these issues that crop up they totally will keep stemming themselves and there is again there's something about saying something out loud even to yourself admitting it Mm -hmm. and it's even more powerful when you admit that to another person and I think this may be why in AA they have such a negative view of uh, modern day like psychology psychology and psychiatry and going and seeing a therapist they really seem to talk that down because i think it directly competes with with these two steps they've already kind of set up their own way of doing things and maybe they mm. just subconsciously aren't realizing it but they want to keep all of this in house and for you to go and you know do outpatient and talk to a therapist it kind of usurps their authority and their tradition in doing, you know, these next couple of steps. Which is very ironic and entertaining because I don't think it was Bill Wilson. I think it was the other guy that hung out with Carl Jung. <laughs> oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Carl Jung is mentioned in the beginning of the AA book. Wow. Which I loved. And, I mean, Carl Jung was the one who said, I think the only way anybody can get over this is if they basically have a spiritual awakening. Right. That, we, that was his concept and idea of just like, I, there's no there's no change in this unless you have a complete awakening to something. Yeah. And I mean, that's so that's where it kind of all stemmed from. Like you have to really just your mind has to blow up and you have to totally have a paradigm shift here mm-hmm. if you are going to stop using alcohol or drugs. And I think that's where 
the two different people concept comes in, where the old me that used to use drugs, mm -hmm. there are people in my life now that I've never met that person, and I wouldn't want them to, because that person was completely different from who I am now and that's because there was such a total and complete change in my life that almost every single mannerism in my current life was different from who I was then and that's completely necessary if not there's going to be those little things that start to add up and are going to pull me right back into that old person who I don't want to be anymore those little things are just going to continually stack on top of each other until they become this one, ultimately this last thing, which I think would be, in my case, using, you know, heroin mm -hmm. or opiates or whatever. Um, if I didn't get rid of all those other little things, I would just relapse consistently and constantly. Um, so that's why there has to be that total change. And I love that you say that because it's so analogous to every culture's and society's mythological stories of... Right. You know, the order and the chaos, the good and the evil battling. There's a tyrant. He's evil. Our addicted self. Right. He rules right now, or she, depending. Mm -hmm. And he's the ruler over me, and I can't control it, and I'm stealing from people I love, and I'm manipulating people I love, and I'm lying to people right. that I love, and I don't want to do this anymore, And but I'm still doing it. How do I stop it? And it's just this battle. And you do. You have to take over the tyrant. You have to fight the tyrant. And I think in the podcast, because Jordan Peterson loves mythology and he loves using Disney movies as examples, right. and he used Sleeping Beauty. Right. I think it was Sleeping Beauty when he fights basically his mother that becomes a dragon by speaking truth to it, pretty right. much. And that's what you have to do. You find, all right, I'm an addict. I have these issues. I'm lying. I'm manipulating. I'm telling my good friend about it. I'm telling myself about it. I'm naming it. I'm calling it out. And in 12 Rules of Life, the book, I love it. I've used this example so many times because I love it. He talks about that children's story, There's No Such Thing as Dragons by Jack Kent, mm -hmm. where the boy has a dragon about the size of a cat, tells his mom. Mom denies that dragons exist. The dragon keeps getting bigger until it breaks the house down, and then they start... The dad comes home from work, says, hey, there's a dragon here, and the dragon gets smaller. So just naming something, finding the issue, talking about it as a family, as friends, as to your loved ones, to whoever, a therapist, a sponsor, whatever it is, you're talking about it, you're naming it, and now you're able to come up with ways on how to fix it. Right. Whew. That's some heavy shit right now. It is, yeah. And, and it I think it comes to the sense of community that you have to develop. If you're going to think that, okay, I'm just going to dump all of this on a mentor and that's going to take care of it, I think you're really kind of misleading yourself. You have to yeah. create and develop a community of people who are going to help you, whether it be through outpatient and then a recovery coach and your family and, and really close friends who maybe they're also struggling with you towards a common goal. You have to have a community that's pulling you up through this because this is not a small issue that you're trying to defeat. No, not at all. All right, so that was step four and five. And again, step four, I had, you know, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. And then step five, be honest, talk to others. And yeah, so I thought that was, it was awesome. I love looking at the 12 steps. This podcast kind of refreshed me a little bit to kind of dig back into the 12 steps a yeah. little more again and 
you know. And it's un you can't deny that they've worked for millions of people. No, they absolutely have. There's definitely certain people that it's going to work better for, and mm-hmm. I think that's where like with the opiate crisis, you have to bring MAT into it just because of the way that heroin and opiates work in your brain. Yeah. You almost have to have like that secondary, okay, I'm going to combine therapy with, you know, medically assisted treatment with AA and NA. And I think if NA, maybe let's target NA because it's supposed to be for people who are mm-hmm. addicted to narcotics. Maybe they need to really open themselves up more to, okay, NA is going to be a function of your recovery. It's not going to be your recovery. Because there's a book that I read that shows in clinical trials that total abstinence does not work for opioid use disorder. No. You no. have to bring medically assisted treatment into it just to keep people from dying mm-hmm. is just the bottom line to keep people alive. So I think NA specifically, because it's supposed to be targeted towards people who are you know, into narcotics as opposed to alcohol, need to really start to take that view of this is part of a greater... Uh, recovery path amen Mm -hmm. and i've mentioned over many many times over and over again on this podcast and i'm not even going to get into it right now but just to touch on it real quick how because of that total abstinence thing and that such an emphasis on consecutive clean days yeah one person does a tiny little bump in the road Mm -hmm. and you are pun intended by the way (laughs) 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 only addicts will get that one And you have this little bump in the road, and then you feel like a complete piece of shit, miserable failure, and you just say, fuck it. And I totally think that's such an emphasis because of certain 12-step groups that put an emphasis on complete abstinence and consecutive clean days. Anywho. Right. Moving past Moving on. So what was that? Four and five we did? Yeah. Six and seven. So step six is we entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. Humbly seven is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Okay. So step six and seven here I have step six is are you are you truly ready to let everything go? Because some part of you probably does not want to let it go. So mm. that's going back to the whole you have this addicted self, this tyrant, mm-hmm. and you have this other part of yourself that's like, I got to stop. I got to change. And there's a lot of things that we we do, and maybe we don't even want to admit to ourselves that, you know what? I like my lust. Mm-hmm. I like my my lying. I like stealing. It's pleasurable. Like, I and, don't want to let it go. Yeah. yeah, and every time you, let's just use lying as an example. Every time you get away with something and you lie about it and you, it's successful and it leads to an end that you were trying to get to, there's a little piece in your brain that gives you that dopamine that mm. says this is good, this worked, and now what you're creating is just this much larger issue. And I think this is where like compulsive lying develops, is you lie once, you get away with it, boom, you get that little boost in your brain. You don't realize you're not thinking about it, but that's what's happening. And then, so the next time a situation comes up where you're faced with this decision of, uh, do I lie or do I tell the truth, which the truth obviously sometimes can be the more difficult path, that little piece in your brain is now going to subconsciously lead you to lie because you want that dopamine boost. Yeah, that's that's awesome to think about. I mean, obviously it's not awesome, but it's just crazy. Yeah. How the brain works, man. It's very complicated. It is super bizarre how it happens and how little we really even know of what's happening. All these processes are going on mm-hmm. and we have no idea they're going on. And that's not only in brain chemistry, that's in our subconscious. Like yeah. everything 
almost comes from, and this is why I really lean in towards uh, the argument of determinism as opposed to free will, because so many things are going on that affect the, in quotes, decisions we make Yeah, in our subconscious and our physiological realm. I mean, so many things go on that cause us to make certain choices. Agreed. And, and it's trippy. For me, a big part of my recovery was finding that Eastern religious culture, I guess I'll call it, is backed up by neuroscience that says that you can change those synopses in your brain over time. So that kind of gave mm. me the courage to actually try and change because, okay, these are these two things that are saying, if I really work at it, over time, I can change how my brain works, and I don't have to be stuck in this pattern of just using drugs to get by in life. So crazy. I <laughs> so love it. Crazy. I love it. So, yeah, step six and seven. We, sex to us, we entirely ready to have God remove all of these defects of character. So it goes, like I said earlier, it goes back to that whole, we want to let everything go. These things that we that we enjoy, that we know aren't good, we want to let go. And then seven, what are you willing to sacrifice to move forward? Humility is sacrifice. Humility basically means we have to look at why we are not so good. And that does take humility. Mm -hmm. You know, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. So when we're in this introspective state and we see these things, it takes a lot of humility to say, hey, I really suck at this. What I'm doing, this isn't very good. <laughs> yeah, and this now that we're talking about it in this uh, aspect, I think it's easy to see where, and I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard that people around, the when they get deeper into the steps, will relapse. And it may be because they had this realization, whether they knew it or not, that, you know what, I really don't want to give these things up at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. The pain, I don't think, maybe the pain isn't great enough or whatever it is. But I still want to hold on to, right? I still want to hold on to these things because of the pleasure that they're bringing me. And if you get to that realization, then obviously you would relapse because it's like, okay, there's not enough on the one side of the scale to lead me further down this path. I'm just gonna go back to use. And that seems crazy to everybody on the outside looking in. But if you look at it from that point of view, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem crazy at all. It seems totally logical. It does, and. I feel like this goes back to one of my favorite little Eastern philosophical quotes, which is, if enlightenment was easy, everybody would tell their brother. Right. It's not easy to do any kind of change. It is super difficult, and that's why the term ignorance as bliss comes around, because it is not fun being aware of what you suck at. And if you don't have any kind of self care, any kind of self-love, acceptance, forgiveness for yourself, you can't do this. This becomes, at this point, so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. The weight becomes so heavy, your self you don't feel like you have any ounce of good in you if you do not learn how to love yourself and remember that everybody has these shortcomings. And this was my biggest, one of my biggest reasons for using and in staying in drug use because I hurt my back, start using some pain pills to be able to work still and not hurt. And all of a sudden I have this false sense of self-love and security. Like, oh, I don't feel bad about myself anymore because I developed this monstrous introspective human being in my mid twenties. But all I could do was list this thing, the things that I sucked at. Mm -hmm. And I felt like the biggest piece of shit on this planet. 
Right. Oh my God, I am terrible. I am a terrible person, and my list just gets bigger and bigger. Anybody who gets into this realizes that this list gets bigger and bigger. And that's why maybe I feel, I'm just kind of thinking about this now, that maybe there is, they want you to take it from yourself into somebody else because maybe that relying on this, you know, what I defined as the self in the beginning, mm-hmm. relying on that is just not enough for a lot of people because they can't totally grasp that their ego isn't just who they are. Right. I would totally agree. And you can't carry that burden alone. You really can't. It'll do exactly what it did to you mm-hmm. and just compound itself and keep getting worse and worse. You'll keep finding more and more things that you don't like about yourself. And then if you don't have a reason to continue going forward, which is that self-love, then you're, it's going to lead to nihilism, which is you know known in the using community as getting a case of the fuck it's where it's like, mm-hmm. what is the purpose? What's the point? If I don't have any self-love, then there's no reason for me to get better. I'm just going to go into total oblivion and just use until I die. Because I wrote down here some things about if people of this podcast don't know already, I am a huge Carl Jung fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I love what I can actually comprehend of his writing. I absolutely love. But when he talks about incorporating the shadow aspect of our ego... And so there's there's basically there's things that we can do, things that we can't do, things you're allowed to do, things you aren't allowed to do. Mm-hmm. But the shadow domain of our ego consists of things that you could do but haven't, some of which are, abs- are actually terrible things. And But you have to, again, come and face this thing. Every single human being has this, and we really repress it very deep down, this shadow aspect of our, our ego. And this is the things that make us hate murderers and pedophiles right. and everything else because a lot of us, I should say all of us, have parts of that in us. Mm-hmm. And we project them out into the world because they're too horrendous for us to ever admit and to ever look at of ourselves. And this is why shadow work is I would say the most difficult thing about self-growth. And this is one of my favorite things that Carl Jung talked about was our our shadow aspect. Hmm. He's the one who coined it and came up with it. And it is. It's in every single one of us. I mean, when you've thought about it sometimes, like sitting in a group of people and this this thing comes up that says, oh, like I could just stab this person in the neck mm-hmm. with my pencil right now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, like whatever. I don't, you know, we all have these yes. thoughts sometimes. Agreed. Now, you know better. Right. Like, all right, gonna. I'm not going to do this. You know, I would eventually think about what I did and feel disgusted and couldn't even stand myself anymore. But that right there is a part of the shadow creeping out into your your, wow. your consciousness. And that shit's crazy. It is. It really is. And people who have actually stabbed somebody in the neck with a pencil are people who didn't have that control. Some of them are obviously psychopaths, sociopaths, and right. everything else, but... They weren't. They didn't know how to control that and integrate that into everyday life. And I just love the whole shadow concept. So is part of that though that there's also parts of that shadow that are good or no? Is it all mm-hmm. evil? No, I believe. I don't know if I've read anything Carl Jung has talked about the shadow, but that's the same thing as when you look at somebody and say, "I'll never be like them." Okay. That's also a projection of your unconscious parts of you that you have that you don't want to face. Because whether we like to admit it, we're also afraid of success. Mm-hmm. In this one book, I just actually interviewed Nick Maytosh. Um, it was the most recent episode I have. I guess I don't know when I'm putting this out, so I can't say the most recent episode. Episode 40. Okay. And he really talks about not calling it comfort zone, 
Okay. Calls it familiar zone because we can be very uncomfortable, but something is familiar and we don't want to leave it. Huh. And I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that whole concept of because we do. We do things that we know aren't good for us, mm-hmm. but we don't want to leave that because we don't want change. Right. It's completely familiar. We're to familiar. Us. I, I may not like it. Right. It may not feel good, but we all do it. We've all thought shitty of ourselves wow. but we don't want to change that thinking because we're just so familiar with it it's we easy, become yeah. so connected we just don't want to leave the familiar parts of ourselves and i totally love that too yeah. i think that was awesome that is cool so i love changing the whole comfort zone the familiar zone yeah because we don't like it so anyway back to the whole steps what we're we on six and seven no, I think do we get moving in moving into eight? I think yeah. humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings with seven. So right. I read those. So eight is made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. On here I have look back, see who you've hurt. How can I love myself if I know I have done something wrong to others? So basically, yeah, we have to look at everybody we've wronged, which is this is again a great concept. Yep. Of all right, I've hurt these people. Now I think where you can where you come into play, which is I'm just gonna do step nine with it too. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible yep. and accept to do so when that would injure them or others. And nine on here I have talked to the people you have hurt. They may have hurt you more, but that's not the point. And yeah. that's what I wanted to kind of get into, which I thought was cool. That's how we will try to justify not telling somebody we're sorry. Right. And I love it because I have the greatest example in my life that was so such a test to see if I was really apologizing to this person for myself because I wanted to say, hey, this was my part in this and I'm sorry. And that was when I talked to my ex-wife and I called her and I knew she would not be receptive to it at all as far as. Oh, yeah. And yeah, by the way, I'm sorry, too. <laughs> right, right. Like, I knew that wasn't going to come because she has hurt me equally, if not more. Of course. And I have hurt her. Right. But that's not what it's about when you are s- developing this list of people you've hurt. And then you go and say, hey, I fucked up because that comes into play a lot. You know what? But this person did this to me. Right. So I am not going to apologize to them. But that's not why... You're not apologizing for that person. You're not asking for forgiveness for the other person. You're doing this for yourself. Right. And this was a great example for me because when I said, hey, I'm sorry for this, I'm sorry for that, you know, I hope one day you can forgive me, she had no kind of reception to it. She was completely just went on and went on and went on about how basically much she hates me, essentially. Right. And said nothing else. But it felt great when i was done right to get that off your to chest. be able to say you know what i'm done and i just felt like this huge weight was off my shoulders because carrying those resentments carrying that anger mm-hmm. carrying that hate whether it's to yourself whether it's to other people is so heavy yeah and that stupid saying unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting yeah. it to kill somebody else yeah or whatever and if you had decided to buy into that and hold on to the fact that, yeah, she's definitely hurt you more than you have hurt her, it's not going to benefit you. You don't get the benefit of actually apologizing and accepting no, no. your part in it. So you just kind of buy into that and it continues to hurt you and then you won't experience recovery because that's still going to be weighing on you. And you won't. you may not even know why because maybe it's totally logical for you to justify it that way by saying, 
well, she's done a lot more wrong, and until she apologizes, I'm not going to. That may be perfectly logical, but you're still not going to get the benefits of it. Like, I think about the resentments that she carries towards me. I'm like, that's got to be the heaviest weight ever. Right. Heaviest weight ever. But now that you have done your part to apologize, that's on her at this point. And you can walk around free of any of that guilt and shame and continue down this path, this good path that you're on. And, you know, she can do what she wants to do. It has totally zero effect on you now. Yeah, and I think also this step is awesome because if you know you've done something wrong to somebody and you don't address it, I mean, how can you... How can you truly love yourself? How can you truly keep improving on yourself and mm-hmm. moving forward in life right. until you say, hey, I did this to you and I'm sorry. Right. And that's all you can do. Agreed. I brought this up in a past episode. I sat down with this licensed mental health counselor and she said, and this was so awesome and I love it. I mentioned like, hey, I'm going to, she had this cool sign. I was like, oh, I'm going to steal this. You know, if you see it's gone, that was me. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, I'd be flattered if you stole it. And I brought up, I was like, Oh, I hope people who I stole from in my addiction feel that way. Right. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? Those people, when you did this, and this doesn't justify anything, but when you do something to somebody, you are giving them an opportunity to learn from it, hmm. to learn from, to learn something from it. And I'll always love that. I've always said, no matter what, whether you did something and it's your fault or somebody else's fault, when you're in pain, the best way to give that pain meaning is to learn from it. And I loved the whole concept of the things I've heard a lot of people and it doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it good. And, you know, it doesn't justify anything, but they have an opportunity to learn and grow as an individual Mm -hmm. from the trouble that I've caused in their lives. Yeah. And there's a lot of good that can come from reconciliation, too. Mm -hmm. So if they want to participate in that with you, now you can both learn from a situation that's obviously less than ideal. And like you said, it doesn't make it okay. But what it does do is it makes it productive. And that is definitely better than just making it, like, a shitty situation Mm -hmm. in your lives. That's right. Right. Absolutely. So that was step, what, eight we did? And nine. Made direct amends to such people. What I have down here for notes. I said, look back and see who you've hurt. How can you truly love somebody if you haven't done something wrong? Mm -hmm. This is real action in the world, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the other things that were kind of introspective right. and writing and kind of looking inward and but i mean it is it's analogous to telling somebody your resentments and everything just feels good to talk about yeah. it and say hey i did this i screwed up yeah so i love that so moving on we got what three more three more step 10 is continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it so this is just continuous introspection continued observation of all right what did i do wrong and I think this is something along the lines because I don't think this step ever ends. No, I think you're not. you're constantly doing this like, oh, I just felt jealous there. Right. Or, oh, man, I just lied. Why did I lie about that? Right. Absolutely. And it's just constantly trying to get better and become more aware because this takes time. And I think this also will stave off complacency, which for me was always kind of a big um, mm. slippery slope back to addiction as you get so many years in or whatever and it's like okay i don't really have to think about that anymore that's not me anymore 
And then all of a sudden you kind of had this realization that, oh, I've let these seven or eight things come back into my life. Yeah, I'm not using yet, but I've become so complacent that I let all these things stack up and I haven't been, you know, immediately admitting to my wrongs and doing inventory daily, weekly, whatever it is, whatever your tradition is. And you get to a point where you're just primed for a relapse. All Mm -hmm. it takes is running into that wrong person in the supermarket or whatever it is. And you're there. And boom, you're back shooting up or whatever it is you love doing or loved doing. And it really, it it seems like a lot of times people relapse and it just is like out of nowhere, but that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. You stop watching the things that you're doing wrong. You stop trying to get better. You stop becoming aware. That's where my quote comes from. I know I got this as long as I know I don't got this Mm because... I need to constantly be aware of where I am in my path. What am I doing wrong? What do I keep? What do I need to do to keep changing these things I'm doing wrong? Yeah, I agree. The last two steps, 11 and 12. 11 is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Mm -hmm. And 12 is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. That's a lot of words for what I have here is step 11, stay connected. Step 12, help others and remain awake. Right. And I think that's a much easier way to put it. Absolutely. And I think it's a way of staying tapped into that part of yourself that goes beyond your ego. And that's a way of continuing on a good path and then... You know, going out and helping others is a way to keep you focused on, I'm not perfect, this is exactly what I used to be like, so I don't ever want to get back there. So by helping someone who is there along the path that I have, you know, previously walked is going to be my way to continue going forward while I'm pulling others along with me. And I think also stay connected in a community of people that are honest with you, Yeah, that will allow you or not allow you to help you say, hey, you're doing this. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you got to open yourself up for that because mm-hmm. you're not always going to see your faults. I mean, if you really sit down and take an honest, open inventory, you're going to probably catch most of them, but you've got to have some outside mm-hmm. input to make sure that you catch all of them because it's so insidious. It is, and you can have those friends that you'll, in quotes, that you'll go to just because you know they will agree with you. So mm-hmm. I, it comes back to, all right, I got to stay aware. Who am I going to for this advice to right. talk to? Is this person going to be honest with me? Or they're just going to be like, yeah, that person was an asshole. Right, that, right. Whatever it is. So that's huge. Staying connected and obviously helping others is, I mean, that makes everybody feel good. Which I think is a beautiful part of your podcast, too, is you're sitting down with people who you're going to share your story with and vice versa, and you're not necessarily invested in their life as a friend, so you have zero reason to, you know, lie to them or mislead them and just agree with them for the sake of, you know, keeping your friendship Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I think this is a huge venue for you to just continue in your recovery, which is fantastic for everyone involved. Yeah, that's definitely right. <laughs> this has been, I always tell people, yeah, this has been, the person this has helped the most is myself right. doing this Room 9 thing. Yeah. I love that it's kept me motivated and pumped up and it's kept me connected and it's kept me helping others. Yeah. It's kept me awake and aware and that's huge. And so I love kind of that whole concept of the 12 steps. I think they're awesome. I love 
not I don't want I was gonna say water them down. That's not watering them down, but simplifying them. Yeah. Taking the God thing out of it mm-hmm. and showing how this could be beneficial to anybody in any aspect of their life if they want to change something. Agreed. To really go through those. I love the you know, when you're doing these resentments things, you're also saying what your part in them were. Yeah. This person hurt me in this way, but what was my part in that? Mm-hmm. I still had a part in it. What was it? Right. And when you start doing that, that also I think makes you it easier for you to be able to forgive. Yeah. Others. I mean, because again, we've all had this. We all have had a part in something. And yeah, if you weren't there, it wouldn't have happened. Yep. Whether you were wrong or you were being the one doing the wrong, ultimately there was Either you way. played a role in it. Mm-hmm. So you've got to accept that. And what? And I it? found just in everyday life, understanding what was my part in this, and then immediately admitting to it or owning up to it is just huge mm. for re- resolving situations, just especially interpersonal resolutions. It's huge. As soon as you accept your part, other people are primed and more prone to accept their part in it, and then you can both continue on towards a common goal, which obviously is just, you know, a resolution. So, absolutely. I love it. There's um, there's another book I want to show you before you get out of here that mm. I would love if you're inter- I don't know if what you're reading nowadays, but I would love to kind of do some episodes centered around this book because okay. it's awesome. So yeah. I want to. I need a book to, to, to read really right now. Good. Yeah. That's right. All yeah. Right. So I'll have to have you check it out because let's do. They it. have a lot of things that I kind of was had to stop myself from branching off this episode to like okay. try to touch a base on, but he takes like CBT and the emotional brain and the thinking brain and really talks about it in an awesome way and talks about hope and how we need it to survive psychologically and it's it's really cool so yeah all right dude thank you despite our technical difficulties we got through as always yeah all right peace out that's it guys Thanks for listening. Room9podcast.com is awaiting your visit. Fill out a contact form. If you'd like to help us out monetarily, go to our support page. If you'd like to help us out in general, like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all those other ones. LinkedIn, Room9's on there as well. Share us. Enjoy our posts. Join the Facebook group. Let me know what you think. Email me, seancuddyhe at room9podcast.com if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. And I will be seeing you guys soon. Not really seeing you, talking to you guys soon. You know what I mean. All right. Love you guys. Peace out.